Vincent Werbeck's Derby. Uh, so what I've been asked to do is focus this morning, and particularly, uh, particularly this morning, but into this evening, on uh, the ministry of the Spirit and the presence of God in our lives as followers of Jesus, in the church, and, and in terms of mission. That's the focus um, today. Um, I'll say a bit more about that in a moment, but I was um, thinking about this last week, whilst stood at the back of our Alpha course, you guys run Alpha, right? You have to, don't you? Aren't you an HGB church plant? It's part of the contract. Uh, that's a joke. Uh, and just so you know, oh, but true. Um, uh, and uh, so we run Alpha. We run it every term, and uh, it's not my, one of my team does it. But I was stood at the back because um, I happened to be just in the building at the time, and they just got up and running, and this guy came in off the street, and he was probably mid-20s. And I introduced myself to him, and uh, he didn't really believe I was the vicar because I was dressed like this, and he's not what he was expecting. And I said, why, why are you here? And he said, it's so, it's so weird. He said, yesterday evening, about the same time, I had this strong compulsion that I needed to go to church. And, but then I, I didn't. I thought, I'm going to go tomorrow. And I couldn't work out why I decided to go tomorrow, but I, I remembered this afternoon as I left work, I'm going to go to church tonight. I just had this thing in me, I've got to go to church. Um, and so uh, he just decided he'd go to the nearest church he could find. And he lives in an apartment 50 meters around the corner from us. So he's like, I'll, I'll go to All Saints. I said, it's a good job you didn't come last night because there was no one here. But tonight, you're welcome. He said, what is this? And I explained, I said, it's Alpha, and uh, it's for people who are trying to find God. He goes, I think it's for me. I was like, I think it might be. Um, and, uh, and he came in, and, uh, and he sat down at the back, and I, I stayed, because I don't normally do this, but I stayed, because I thought, I've got to see what happens here. And um, I watched him, and he, he literally just closed his eyes and fell asleep. And then woke up sort of halfway through and <laughs> had this like, weird moment of like, oh, heck, had anyone noticed? And they hadn't really, because of where he was sat. And... Uh, anyway, long story cut short, we got chatting at the end, and he said, he said, Rich, I can't remember anything that was said, but what I can tell you is I have never felt like this before in my entire life. What is it in this building? What is it? I said, well, tell me what it felt like. And he said, it felt like a peace, like a, a joy, like I felt free. I felt safe, and he started to talk, and he got more and more effusive, and he said, I feel like I'm alive. I feel like I found my way home. And I said to him, absolutely right. That is what it feels like when you're in the presence of God. The psalmist writes, doesn't he, in Psalm 16, you make known to me the path of life. And then he says, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. Now, here's the fascinating thing about that moment. This guy has never been to church. He has no Christian background, no Christian family, uh, no previous experience of the church. He literally just one day, God, by his spirit, stirred him, drew him unto himself. That doesn't always happen, but sometimes it does, and we, we have to be ready for that. But what, what transformed him, he, you'd be surprised, he's, you know, he was back at Alpha last night and he, he, he's decided he's a follower of Jesus, wants to get baptized. He's like, he doesn't have a clue what he's signed up for. 
Like, I did want to say at some point, uh, you might need to read the disclaimer, uh, Jesus wants it all, but, but it's not, not yet, because I don't want to rob him of this moment. But, but what God has done is just drawn him in, and he has experienced God. He's encountered the living God, who inhabits human places and human spaces and human people, people like you and I, we'll come to that in a moment, and it's transformed him utterly transformed him. He's like, oh, he said to me last night uh, in, on a text message, he said, it feels like I'm suddenly seeing the world in technicolor. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Now, I don't know whether somewhere in his family, unbeknownst to him, there are people praying for him, probably. But maybe not. Maybe just the sovereignty of God has been at work and he's called him in. And almost certainly, God has big plans for someone like that. But the point I'm making to start with is that that right at the heart of the universe is the presence of God. And that experience that he had is meant to be the normative experience for anyone made in the image of God, which is everybody, whether they know it or not, and should therefore be our normative experience as the people of God who do know that we're made in his image, who have said yes to Jesus, Tragically, and I have no idea about you guys, but not every Christian I meet lives in and from the presence of God. At best, many people will say, I have these times of where I feel like I get back there, or I get to visit that, or I get to experience that in these moments, but it's not my default. It's not my normative experience. And that's what I want to unpack with you this morning is something of what, what should you expect of the presence of God? What does it mean to be a people of his presence? Is it a spirituality preference? No, nah, not ultimately. I think there are aspects of our spirituality that make it easier for people to connect with the Spirit of God because there's a charismatic theology and practice undergirding it. But it's actually more profound than that. We're designed, made for the presence of God. And throughout the scriptures, you see God time and time again trying to connect with his people through his spirit, by his presence. Not just so we have some holy encounter moment and go, woohoo, but because in that place is fullness of joy. Jesus says, doesn't he, I've told you these things so that my joy may be complete in you. That's the destiny uh, for each and every one of us, and therefore the conversation today. Now, before we get into the detail of that, I want to frame some of what I'm going to say in the bigger picture um, of the scriptures and what it means to be the church and mission, and actually what I think the Spirit of God is wanting to do in and through the church. And Phil actually already prayed it uh, just earlier, so we're on the same page. Um, and so... Um, you guys are going to have to do my slides, I think. Um, we read in Colossians chapter 1, it's on the screen, the following. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Just pause for a moment. That, like, we could start there and not get any further today, couldn't we? God was pleased to have all, all his fullness dwell in Christ. The Father fills the Son with the things of the kingdom, with all that God is. And then says this, And through him to reconcile to himself all things. 
whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. God in Jesus is reconciling to himself all things. How? Through the life, death, and resurrection of, his, of the Son, Jesus. There's no other way. You know, for a debt to be paid, there has to be suffering. Someone has to absorb the cost. Either we do or he does. But, but in and through Jesus, what the Father is doing is reconciling to himself all things. Everything in heaven and on earth. Extraordinary claim. Extraordinary. But notice the word dwell. God dwells in people. God, dwell, God was in Christ. Uh, next slide, Revelation 21. He, Jesus, who was seated on the throne, said, I am making everything new. I'm making everything new. You probably know this, but many of us grew up with a, uh, a spirituality and a theology that said that it, heaven is a place in the sky you go to when you die. And if you're from Ireland, bonus, because you can drink some Guinness. The rest of us will watch you from our cloud, um, being English Puritans. It's really dull. It's not actually a biblical vision of heaven. It's a platonic one, Plato. Heaven comes to earth at the end of the story, not the other way around. There'll be a new heaven-earth temple like there was in the very beginning, etc., etc. We'll probably get to that at some point. And Jesus says, from heaven, the heavenly realms where he's seated on his throne, I am making Everything new. Now, the word for new here in the Greek is the word kainos, not the word neos. There are two words. This is also on the screen. Um, there are two words in the Greek for new, neos and kainos. Neos is something new. So when you get a new car, you get a neos car. But the word here is kainos, and that is made new, a restored, renewed thing. So the word here is not, God is not making all new things. He's making all things new. And anyone signed up to the venue Wi-Fi here? Do you notice the password? Okay, so God is speaking to you. Um, this is really important because it means that when we think about mission, at its very heart, yes, it's people, but it's the whole created order. That which God said was good is being made new. That which is not of God will be dealt with in the refining fire when Jesus returns. That's an entire other teaching. We do not have time to go there. I'm not going to open that can of worms. I don't have my can opener with me. But um, but it means is when you guys think about mission, when we think about mission, we're not just talking about the people of Derby. We're talking about the places of Derby. And we're talking about arts and education and industry. And we're talking about the ecological crisis. Uh, we're talking about ending human trafficking. We're talking about slavery. We're talking about how we respond to the coronavirus as the people of God. It's everything is up for discussion. It makes sense then of your vocations and your callings. And means there shouldn't be a felt gap between what you experience when you gather as the church on Sunday morning and where you find yourself on Monday morning as the church in the world. What you do matters, because matter matters. This world will be our home, a new version of it, a kinos version of it. So some of you don't necessarily relate to the evangelist thing, but you're passionate about the arts, and we need beauty in the world, because it helps us find God. Some of you are passionate about business and finding better ways to do business so that people flourish. 
All of these things are part of the mission of God and important that you have that in your framework. Now here in, uh, sorry, in Worcester, here's how we uh, talk about it. We have our little operating system. We talk about these three things and all three of these things need to come together and fire if we're to be the church fully alive. Three things we talk about all the time and at any given moment, I'm thinking which one of these needs a bit of attention in our shared life, in our conversation, in our thinking. Presence, formation, and mission. Those are the three things. Now, this is just a lens of how I think about church, just to give you some insight into where I'm coming from. It may be just a helpful reference point for you guys. So by presence, I mean we are called to be the people of the presence of God, like I've said. So actually, our shared life, whether we're gathered or scattered, has to be fundamentally centered around the presence of God, which in these days, as Christians, means the person of Jesus Christ. Christ followers. People whose lives centered and built around Jesus Christ. By formation, I simply mean uh, the spiritual practices, discipleship, being formed into the image of Christ, being reformed and transformed, being made new, the old self taken off and the new one put on. That's worked out, by the way, in community. You don't do it on your own. The crucible of community is where transformation happens. And then the third thing is mission, and by that I mean uh, social renewal, cultural renewal, evangelism, caring for the poor, everything. Now, those three things uh, have to all come together in the life of a church if they're to give full expression to what it means to be the body of Christ. And you will probably naturally relate to one of those three more than ever, uh, more than the others. But, but what I would say to you is uh, the great danger for the church in these days, I think, is that we get really good at formation and mission. Because we can, we can do those things in our own strength. We've got loads of books, podcasts, conferences, church weekends away. Uh, we're great at doing mission and evangelism relatively. We've got Alpha and a whole load of other things. But the presence of God, that's not in our control. There are things we can do to posture ourselves towards it, for sure. But ultimately, that's something God has to do. And that's the bit Actually, if we're not careful, can easily go. And yet, actually, that's the bit that has to be in first. Because the, the other two only make sense if you've got the presence of God in you and flowing through you. So we talk in Worcester about renewal and revival with, like this. There are um, four renewals. There's spiritual renewal. You and I being made new by Jesus through the Spirit, coming alive, spiritual awakening. That then, if we all add our number together, that leads to a church renewal. And many of us are part of what's are the beneficiaries of a renewal movement in the church over the last 30, 40 years. New Wine, Vineyard, HDB, etc. Now, when you get spiritual renewal and church renewal, you're able to then think about the two uh, missional outworkings of that. The overflow of that is a, a social renewal where the people of God take responsibility for, for the people. And say, it is not okay that people don't have enough food. It is not okay that people don't have anywhere to live. It's incumbent upon us as the people of God, the presence of God in us, to go and do something about it, and we lead the way. Which is why it's no surprise to me that I was told this recently, that 97% of food banks in this country are run by churches. Obviously. Because it's just the natural overflow. Um, but the... 
frontier of mission that I think is still relatively new for us is, is not instead of social renewal, but it's also, it's as well as social renewal, is that of cultural renewal. The seven spheres, arts, education, business, medicine, law, politics. We need to equip and envision a whole generation of younger people coming through to say, God may call you to outwork your missionary calling in those spheres and those sectors. Not just to go and be a nice, good, moral Christian in those places, but to go and transform them in such a way that they better reflect and usher in the things of the kingdom. Here's an example for you. We need people in Whitehall who will question a policy-making process that leads us to something called universal credit, which is inhumane and has seen a, a 30% rise in the number of people going to the food banks. It's just fundamentally anti-human. Now, how did that ever get through? Where are the people in the system going, whoa, 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 whoa? Um, Desmond Tutu famously said, uh, it's wonderful that the church is pulling people out of the river downstream because they're drowning and rescuing them. Who is going to go upstream and work out who's pushing them in in the first place? It's both and. Okay. Now, all of this is predicated on you and I being people of the presence of God. Because you can go and do amazing things out there in the world, but if you don't take the presence of God with you, you're just like anybody else. Right? I'm right, just so you know. Um, I have the microphone. That makes me right. Okay, so let's keep going on the slides. Here's how it works. Uh, presence and formation, they're about spiritual and, uh, and church renewal. And then mission is the other two. Keep going. Um, the first two are about intentionality. Uh, what I love listening to these guys talk about um, WURBS, is that right? Uh, that's so much better than All Saints Worcester. We need to think of one. Um, uh, there's a, the question is, are you going to be intentional about your spiritual and church renewal stuff? Are you, gonna, are you personally going to lean in, properly lean in, to the things of God? Are you going to sow into your, the life of your church? By definition, if you're away on a church weekend away, you're already ahead of the curve, right? So be at peace. Um, but the other two are about influence. Leadership is about influence. Who's going to influence the world in those spaces? How, the church should be an influence, a distinct, potent one. Keep going. Uh, and so we're talking here about a spiritual awakening. We're trying to fuel that. Church leaders, our job is to fuel spiritual awakening in you and in our churches. For the sake of us, yes, but also for the sake of our culture and our moment. Cultural awakening. And when you get spiritual awakening and cultural awakening, you get what we call revival, which is when renewal goes viral, gets through the system, and it goes to a tipping point. Um, so... Uh, that's my introduction. How you doing? <laughs> okay. Um, about a week ago, my 13-year-old daughter, who is 13, so, you know, pretty cool for school, uh, came into my study unannounced, and I think without realizing, kind of slipped back into the nine-year-old version that I remember very well, came, on, sat, came sat on my lap and gave me a hug. And she kind of just nestled in, nestled in and relaxed in and... We held each other for a bit, and then she kind of remembered what she was doing. and was like, ooh, no, and off she went. Um, but I found myself remembering uh, the very first moment, and if you've been privileged to have children, you will know that feeling when you feel, well, it's more of a dad thing probably, but you, you feel the kid kicking in the womb. And I remember I would go and talk to Emily, uh, and she would respond because she heard the voice of the father. 
she, she intuitively knew, uh, and apparently this is well documented in the, the medical research, kids know even before they're out of the womb that they're in the presence of their parents. They're in the presence of their father. They feel safe. And actually the kicking is a response to love. I love it when my children come into my presence and want to be with me. About um, an hour later, my 11-year-old son shouts from upstairs. Uh, he doesn't come down and ask, because you don't do that. It's inconvenient. It's like inefficient. So he just goes to the landing of our vicarage and shouts, Dad! Dad! Come and look at something. Um, he's just got himself a little drone for his birthday, and he's learned how to flip it. And uh, so I only respond to Daddy, because I'm delaying the inevitable for as long as possible. So eventually he realizes I'm not listening. Daddy! Come and see my drone. So off I go. Because I love it when my children invite me into their world and want me there with them. And long may that continue, right? Well, it's the same for God. And I think the Father, more than anything, looks at us, his children, those who have been redeemed by Jesus. And Jesus says, isn't it? I'll tell you the truth. Like, you're not just, well, you're not slaves, and you're not just friends. You're my brothers and you're my sisters. We are the children of God. I think the Father looks at his children and goes, I'd love to spend more time with you. I'd, lo I'd love you to come and find me more. And I'd love you to invite me into what you do a whole lot more. And so there's a theology in that, but there's also a spirituality in that. There's a simple human instinct in that, and it's the combination of all of it that's really important. The Bible starts and ends with the presence of God. Have a look at these verses. So this first one is Genesis chapter 3. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Before Adam and Eve have to be expelled from the garden, the garden of Eden, the heaven-earth temple creation in which he's placed them to be in his presence, to be in relationship with him, to work with him, to expand the garden, to fill the earth with his glory. Right at the heart of that is relationship with him. They lived in his presence. They walked with him in the cool of the day. Isn't that extraordinary? Like right from the very beginning, that was the default normative experience of those made in the image of God, to live in his presence to walk with him and talk with him. It, it was just what they did. Now, if you know the rest of this verse, this is in the context of, where are you? Because they are naked and ashamed all of a sudden. And it ends, Revelation 21, with this extraordinary passage where we hear that there's a new heaven and a new earth. John sees the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. It should probably say, for our sake, God's dwelling place is now among the people, again, permanently, forever. Because as we'll see in a moment, this isn't the first time that's true since Genesis 3. But then it says this, they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. 
He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. So the story starts with humans made in the image of God living in the presence of God, and it ends with humans living in the presence of God forever in the new heaven earth temple where God dwells with his people. Why? Because that's where he wants to be. That's just how it's meant to be. And between Genesis 3 and Revelation 21, one way of reading the scriptures is to say it's one colossal attempt by the Father to reconnect and reunite with his people, which is why it says he's reconciling to himself all things. And there are different versions of that, but at the center of it, right the way through, is this thread of the presence of God, God being with his people. And it looked different at different points in the story, but it's not some optional extra for the super keen. It's not just something that will be true at the end of time. It will be fully, permanently, gloriously true at the end of time. But between now and then, we have a version of it that we can lean into for us and for the sake of other people. And it's not, as I keep trying to reiterate, just for the super keen. It is meant to be normative for those made in the image of God. Now let's pause just for a moment and make sure we're clear about what we mean when we say presence of God. Christian theologians, some of you will know this, talk about two forms of the presence of God. There's what we would call omnipresence. Uh, God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. God's presence is all around us. It's everywhere. Uh, And that's true. But they also talk about the manifest presence of God, which we'll come back to in a moment. The manifest presence of God uh, is where you have this sense that God is in the room. Like my friend from Alpha last week. You'll know these moments. You'll have had some of these, many of you. So we believe in the omnipresence of God, that he's everywhere. That in one sense, all of us, whether we realize it or not, live in the presence of God. Every human lives in the presence of God. This is his earth. This is his world. Of course he's here. But, but he dwells where he's invited to. He's looking for an address. There's a massive difference between saying God is everywhere and God is here. There's a massive difference between saying God is all around us and God is in here. And he's really happy to be everywhere Because to be imminent and in here, he has to be transcendent and everywhere. But what he's doing is he's hovering over his creation like he's always done, looking for somewhere to land, looking for consecrated hearts, consecrated lives, consecrated churches in which he can take up residence in a manifest, profound, beautiful, tangible way from where he can then flow powerfully into the lives of other people. Because almost certainly most of you, if you tell your story of faith, will talk about somebody else. Very few people come to faith through some manifest presence of God encounter in the wilderness on their own. There are stories like that, but most people come to faith because someone brought them to God. And actually most people come to faith because they saw something in that person that they trusted. They may not have had language for it which is why it's great you're talking about invitation. You do have something on you. I'd, I'd actually say you're an evangelist. 
Now, what that means in practice needs to be discussed and nuanced because we say evangelist and then you start thinking, does that mean I've got to go on the streets and shout at people? God, no. But some people have a, a favor on them, a gifting, an anointing, just to help connect people back to the Father. That's all it is. You've got it. That's not what, what you do isn't normal. <laughs> That's meant to be a compliment. It didn't sound like it, did it? Um, and so it really matters that you and I not only live in an awareness of the presence of God, but that we actually have lives postured to God in such a way that he can take up residence, that he can dwell in us. A couple of verses just to give you some context for this, for those for whom it's helpful. Joshua 2 uh, says this, The Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. I think in these days, and I literally mean these days, uh, people are going to open themselves to God afresh. Of course they are. Most people come to faith in crisis. We are in crisis. People are looking for something. What are they going to look to? The people who carry the presence of God, I'd say. We'll come back to that later. Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. God is everywhere. But is he in here? Is he in your church? He's, he is in your church. Of course he is. But could there be more? I, I, always. Uh, 1 Kings 8, finally. But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. Now, of course, remember what Jesus said several decades, centuries later. This temple, he says, as he's walking out of it with his disciples, I'll tear it down in three days and rebuild it. Uh, what are you talking about? Come back to that in a moment. What we find when you look into the scriptures and you look into this, this narrative of the presence of God, what the, what the story tells us is that people's experience of the presence of God wasn't a, a, a sort of just a transcendent one. It was a manifest presence of God experience in all sorts of different ways. So Moses is walking along one day, minding his own business, sort of, and he sees this bush on fire. So the manifest presence of God sets fire to a bush that doesn't then burn out. And he takes off his feet, his sandals because he's on holy ground. And he has to turn away so that the Lord can pass by because otherwise he'd die. It's, the, it's, an, it's a revelation of the manifest presence of God on the earth. Tom Wright, the great theologian, says, wherever you get these points of intersection where the manifest presence of God on earth is happening, that is the intersection between heaven and earth. That's where it's being reconnected and reunited. It's a little temple. So when you are filled with the Spirit, when God fills you with his presence, you become an intersection point between heaven and earth because we are part of the new temple, right? I'm getting ahead of myself. This always happens when, when teaching in these environments. It's fine. And so you have all these moments throughout the scriptures where the manifest presence of God is experienced by the people of God. And it's for two reasons. The first is because that's what they're meant to know and experience and live in. It's for them. Because God is wanting to be with his people, because God's always wanted to be with his people, because the Father wants to be with his children. And unless he's with us and we're with him, what he intended for him and for us can't possibly be true. You cannot have a relationship with someone long-term where there's distance, whether it's emotional distance or physical distance, can you? You try it, it just doesn't work. 
long-distance relationships. My brother, who I'm really close to, lives in Melbourne. And I was FaceTiming him, and I'm like, I miss him so much. I, I feel an, a pain because of the distance. That's not, it's not, you know, it's not ideal. But God's not happy with distance either. And so he moves in regularly wherever he possibly can into the story. He writes himself into the story of redemption with his presence. God isn't somewhere else waiting for us to find him. God is everywhere, and he wants to be here in you and in us whenever possible. Over and over again, God comes to be with his people. Ever since Adam and Eve have to leave the garden, he's trying to do it, like I say, because he needs somewhere to live. He wants somewhere to live. He wants to take up residence. He wants, to, wants your heart to be his residence here on earth. He loves us. He wants to be with us. He didn't need to make us. He wanted us. He needs something to love. And so he created us in his image to love us. You can't love someone if you're not with them. You can't put your arms around someone if you're not with them. You're not allowed to do that, right, for the next few months, I know. But unless it's your nuclear family. But, but you know that feeling. Have you had moments where like, you've been able to reconnect with great friends that you've not seen for a while and they come for the weekend or you catch up for dinner or university friend reunion and you're back in the room together and it's like, oh, yes. Well, God's the same. He wants it, but he also knows that we need it. To be human is to live in his presence and from his presence. It's not, don't settle for knowing that God is somewhere. And that occasionally he might visit you with blessing. Occasionally he might zap you. Occasionally he might answer a prayer. But it's okay because one day I'll know him in full. When the scriptures tell us that is not the human experience. Not just a New Testament thing, it's an Old Testament thing. The people of God knew his presence. And when they were with him in his presence, they experienced blessing and favor and goodness. And when they walked away from it and rejected it, they didn't. And so time and time again in the Old Testament, there are these attempts by the people of God to come back to God. And there are these attempts by God to call them back to him. The prophets come and say, you've forgotten who you are. Time and time again, God takes the initiative to reconnect with his people, to, to give his presence there. And it's because of the original intentions of creation that he's still committed to. The judgment of God is that you and I are still very good and therefore worth saving. The judgment of God on creation is it is still good inherently and it's worth saving. I'll redeem it. I'll reconcile it to myself, that which can be done. It's not because he's being really nice. It's because that's what he wants and that's what he needs and that's what he intended. And so he actually covenants himself to the people of God. Way back in Exodus, there's a uh, verse for this on the screen. Exodus 29, I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. They will know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt so that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. They will know and I will dwell with them. That's the covenant which is still binding. That is still in play which is why God's insisting that he does his redemptive work of create, for creation through the church. Because he said, I've covenanted to, to be with you and to work through you. That is what it is for you to be made in my image. That is what it is for me to love. 
So that is still the way we're going to do it, which is why our obedience and our faithfulness really matters. Why it matters to him and to us that we pursue holiness. That we prioritize the pursuit of his presence because in his presence there is fullness of joy. So notice real quick, and then we're going to hit coffee, is throughout the Old Testament we see these times where in different bits of the story God is present in different ways. So, so there's the tent of meeting, if you know your Old Testament, where God and the people of God meet in this tent because they're on the move, and so it's this portable experience. But Moses and others, they meet with God in the tent of meeting. It's this place where they experience his presence. And whenever Moses goes into the tent, all the people have to cover their faces because when he comes out, he's radiating the glory of God. It's an heaven-earth intersection point. Eventually, they they get something a bit more permanent, the tabernacle. But it's the same idea. And then eventually, they build a temple, a physical temple. And it's built, if you know anything about the design of the Old Testament, it was built in such a way that you were meant to walk into it, into the different outer courts and then the inner courts and then into the Holy of Holies. It was built and designed in a way to, to retell the Garden of Eden story. It was designed by that, so the rivers flow out. There's fruit and trees all the way around the outside, and you get to the Holy of Holies, it's this perfect cube, and it's meant to symbolize the infinity of God's creation, and it's in the Holy of Holies that God dwells. So we read in 2 Chronicles 7, don't we, this extraordinary story where Solomon and all the priests come in to dedicate the temple, and in that moment of dedication, God's Spirit fills the Holy of Holies. And what happens? Anyone remember? It's the first recorded charismatic moment where all the priests are taken out, fall flat on their faces. I, I pray that every time I go to an ordination service in the cathedral. I just think it'll be amazing. Because, because heaven and earth are reconnecting. God is in the building, literally. He fills the temple. And from that place, the people of his presence who gather around it go in his name and go in his power. Which is why Jesus has this point about the temple like I've already made. Because he is the new temple. He's the living temple. He supersedes the physical one, which is in one place for one people at one time, and becomes this walking temple. Wherever Jesus was, people were with the presence of God. Which is why, when they're around him, miraculous things happen. One of my favorite stories is where he's walking through the crowd with his disciples in the market square, trying to get to someone to heal their daughter. And someone touches him. You know that story? And he stops and he says, doesn't he, who touched me? And the woman who's touched him, who's bleeding, is terrified because she's thinking, oh, heck, I shouldn't have done that. Now, he's not cross. He just wants to know because she matters to him. But his disciples' reaction is brilliant. We lose it in the New Testament English translation. But in the Greek, it's funny. It's like, what do you mean who touched you? Everyone's touching you. It's like, a, it's like you know, Piccadilly Circus at rush hour. You know, no, someone touched me. How does he know? Because he said, I felt power leave me. The point of that is that God's presence is in us, but it wants out. Because it's for others too. It's for the healing of the nations. And, And then Jesus then says to us, now you, you are my body. You are my people. And so 1 Corinthians 3 Verse 16, if you skip a couple of slides. Don't you know, Paul says, that you yourselves in God are God's temple and that God's spirit lives among you? Here's how Charlie Maxey draws it, HDB, a hero. There's a building, and then there's you and me, a little temple. 
He's bang on. That's brilliant theology. Probably better than anything uh, we could have read or said. And so we'll finish with this. Uh, Peter, 1 Peter 2. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are the temple of God. We are the dwelling place of God here on earth in this point in the story. Pentecost is the dedication of the new temple. It's an exact copy of what happens to Solomon. The people of God dedicate themselves and he fills them with his presence and the earth shakes. Something shifts, something happens and from that point, the church explodes because the presence of God is in them. The power of God is on them. And amazing things happen. And we live in that story. That, we're still in that story. That's not changed. And Paul says in Ephesians 5, doesn't he go on being filled? Because you are the temple of God. And we leak. So we have to be filled again and again and again and again. Why? Because in his presence and with his presence in us is the fullness of joy. But as we'll see as we go today, but also so that something of who we are and what we're called to be and to do in the world can be made possible. Because without the presence of God, without the power of God in us and flowing through us, it's just impossible. It's hard work. But with us, God with us, God in us, the scriptures say all things are possible. So do you dream of Derby being like it is in heaven? It's a question I'm looking for an answer, just to, I hope so. It's the presence of God you need. And so we break for coffee, but I want to just ask you a question. Does God dwell in your heart? Is there room in your heart for more of God? If your heart is a bit like a hearth of a fire, it needs to be prepared and consecrated, made into an altar where you put yourself there as the fuel and, and ask God to ignite something in you. Has that happened? And maybe today it needs to happen, maybe for the first time or, or afresh. Not because that makes you super keen, but because in that place, in that life, that choice, you will know the fullness of God and you can be all that you're created to be. Thank you.